to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Let's jump right in here. Um, I got a couple of articles I want to bring up of a few things that occurred last week, toward the end of last week anyway, and um, a couple of predictions that I want to make for what I think is likely to occur within the next year. One in particular, and I don't even necessarily think that it's a unique prediction because the writing for this has been on the wall for quite some time, but they clearly couldn't push it through in 2021. But I don't see any reason why they wouldn't now in 2022, which is remarkably unfortunate. But again, I think we have to be shown this particular event in order for a lot of parents to, uh, to wake up regarding the public school system as a whole. And I think it's going to be interesting as to what occurs, but I want to get to that toward the end. Uh, I want to get into this first, though, because this is, you know, this is a big deal. And this is a particular story, again, that was big in 2020, in particular in the education field. And uh, it was continuing to just lift the veil on what really goes on within higher education institutions. Again, as I've written about in my book, Purposeful Deception. A lot of those Confucius centers, for example, were spy operations, and the DOJ during the Trump administration was shutting them all down, or at least a great deal of them. The problem is, and I've brought this up in the past, is that many of them simply sort of went underground, they renamed themselves, they gave themselves different names, and then they sort of popped up again, but claiming that they're not affiliated with the university, and yet they still exist either within the same town or the same city or sometimes on the same campus as a university or a college might. And, uh, you know, but this is also clearly jab-related and spy-related and a number of other things. Uh, this comes from digitalsoldiers.show, and it's titled, Harvard Professor Charles Lieber Found Guilty of Lying About Chinese Communist Party Ties. Uh, it's a very quick explanation here, and you may recall that story from a while back, but it says the Wall Street Journal with the story, looks like Charles was found guilty pretty quick. The Harvard professor was arrested in 2020 because he was suspected of taking over $50,000 a month from CCP, which included trips to Wuhan. It says, quote, the verdict returned after less than three hours of deliberations marks a stunning fall for Mr. Lieber, who came under scrutiny by federal investigators over an academic partnership with the Wuhan University of Technology that dates back a decade. Prosecutors showed documentary evidence that Mr. Lieber had signed a thousand talents agreement, quote-unquote, with Wuhan that paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars, some in cash and some deposited into a Chinese bank account. The Wuhan school also had appointed Mr. Lieber as director of the WUT-Harvard Joint Nano-Key Laboratory, a lab that Harvard officials said they had no knowledge of and hadn't approved as a collaborator. Harvard later asked Wuhan to remove the school's name from the collaboration, and Harvard employees testified at trial that Mr. Lieber hadn't followed the process needed to establish a collaboration. And then the end of the article simply says, this is how we win. So that's a good thing. Um, hopefully he goes to jail. Who knows? Maybe his penalty will be a whole lot worse. It certainly sounds like treason as far as I'm concerned, and we know what the penalty for that is. Uh, this next one, again, rather interesting. I also, by the way, I didn't mention this at the top. I also want to get into some of the Michigan school shooting stuff because more and more sort of tricks are, are, are coming out regarding that. 
And I just, again, it's, it's clearly a political football that's being passed around and it's being manipulated uh, in a way that, again, was remarkably pre- predictable, frankly, from the very start. But this next one, again, not Michigan related, but funny nonetheless and sad at the same time, comes from RT. And it's titled, Math Test for Teachers is Ruled Racist. A Canadian court has ruled that a mandatory math proficiency test is unconstitutional and should not prohibit those who fail to pass it numerous times from teaching children as it unfairly affects non-white candidates. I gotta read this because it's short and hilarious and sad. And this right here again is, is a perfect example of the Marxist playbook. That if people can't pass basic proficiency tests, then you blame race as which of clearly if one believes in racism this is the most racist thing that you could possibly have in in simply blaming race is the reason why somebody can't pass a proficiency test um quick side note again if you're unfamiliar with the process it's it's pretty straightforward when when an individual and i assume it's very similar in, in canada as it is in the united states when an individual is in a teacher education program at the university or college level. And again, it depends on the state in which one lives, but almost all states have their own general proficiency test for those uh, students that want to graduate with a teaching license and become a teacher. Is your degree does not mean that you can become a teacher. You would think that that would be enough. But as I have mentioned in the past, the business of a teacher certificate is another hook inside of a school teacher in order to have another government entity hang over them like an albatross in the interest of basically keeping them in line and uh, stripping them of their certification to be a school teacher regardless of any diplomas that they have. I personally think, again, that the actions in the business of what a State Department of Education does and goes through is something that should just occur within a college or university. You know, there's nothing wrong with having an exit exam as a as a college or university student if you want to be a school teacher. And then once you pass that, then you get your diploma and you can leave. But this business of having certifications, again, is, uh, I don't know. It's a double-edged sword. It's odd, I think. And it's just one of those things that that you can do everything right, and all you can do is have someone fraudulently make accusations against you or falsify accusations against you, and then you lose a teaching certificate, and then, of course, you can't teach anymore after that. Uh, but this business of, again, making excuses for not passing a proficiency test is embarrassing. With that said, in the United States, as I was mentioning earlier before I just rambled on for a minute, um, they have what's called the Praxis Exam. And there's at least one or two sections of the Praxis exam. It's been a while, of course, since I took it. I took it a long time ago in my early 20s. But there's an area exam. And then there's the principles of teaching and learning exam. Again, if you want to teach a particular age group in a particular subject, then you take that area exam. And most of it, again, is multiple choice, true, false. Even today, I don't know if it's true or not, but they, there, there might be some fill in the blank or you know whatever else. But I mean, short little essay questions uh, and essay answers, but for the most part, it's it's multiple choice and true false. The area exam again is is remarkably straightforward and remarkably easy. Um, I took mine blindly. I didn't study for it in health education. Um, I paid attention in class. 
I turned in what I needed to turn in when I needed to turn it in. And I, I believe I only got one question wrong out of a hundred, something like that. Um, then there's the second exam, which is the principles of teaching and learning. This one is a little different because, and this one right here I might add is, is really where the indoctrination in particular today can take hold with some of these area exams. And it becomes remarkably subjective because it is a subjective exam as opposed to the area exam, which again is pretty straightforward. Although I'm sure that you can imagine that there's plenty of propaganda that's woven into those exams too. Um, but with that said, the area exam or the principles of teaching and learning exam is primarily essay oriented. They'll ask you scenario questions and then you'll have to, again, elaborate. And when I took it again, it was handwritten. It wasn't something that anybody typed. You sat in a room with other people. You, you paid, uh, you know, for the administration of the exam and the registration of the exam, and then you took it. And there were only a few days a year that you could take these exams and, uh, and potentially pass them. And then, of course, you had to pass them even by just one point in order, to, uh, in order to gain your state certification to be a teacher. Again, you would think that a bachelor's degree would be enough to be a school teacher, and you would think that they would simply have these exams at the college level that you could take as a part of the college courses and just pass them, and then you, would, you, know, you could become a teacher at the time, but not the case. Just more, again, government overreach and, and more puppet strings, so to speak. But um, the principles of teaching and learning exam, again, with it being as subjective as, as it is, is a little more complicated because you can be as blunt and as straightforward as you want, but if the person grading it isn't as blunt and as straightforward as you are, then they're going to grade it differently. And again, they sit down, I'm sure, with a rubric of, of scores and numbers, and they just they just assign a number to your particular answer for that particular question. And again, as you might expect, there's a long list of vocabulary that has to be used within these exams. And if that vocabulary and those vocabulary words are not used, or that lexicon, whatever you want to call it, just isn't used when writing out your answers, they're not going to grade you favorably. Keep in mind, I took mine back in the early 2000s. So it was a little different than it would be now. Now, they would probably look for words like social justice. Um, I mean, I don't know. You know, the, the, the list of words that they would probably look for when they're grading these papers would be a mile long, and they'd be all the Marxist lingo words that you would expect. Um, but of course, that's a massive problem. The other problem here, in particular with this article that I'm going to breeze through here from Canada, is that they're finding that minority individuals are less likely to pass these particular tests. So they're simply blaming white people um, and saying, well, it unfairly affects non-white candidates because they're not passing these area exams as quickly as other apparent races are. I don't know. But there you go. So it says the Ontario Divisional Court ordered the Ontario College of Teachers last week to, quote, grant certification to teacher candidates who have not passed the mathematics proficiency test, citing, quote, disparities in success rates of standardized testing based on race. The mathematics proficiency test violates S-15-1 of the charter, is not justified under S-1, and is unconstitutional. 
Uh, it says, noting that there is an underrepresentation of radicalized teachers in Ontario schools, the judgment argued that radicalized students benefit from being taught by radicalized teachers and that the deleterious effects of the MPT on radicalized teacher candidates who have been disproportionately unsuccessful on the test outweigh its benefits, unquote. It says the court decided that there were viable alternatives to the mathematics proficiency test, which, quote, appear to be less impairing and at least as, a, as effective, including a requirement to have performed a minimum number of hours of math instruction or a math course for a bachelor's or education degree. The Ontario Teachers Federation praised the court's decision, claiming in a statement, quote, that there is no research to suggest that a standardized test would improve student outcomes or enhance teacher pedagogy. Well, that's funny, because if that's true, then why do you give it to K-12 students on a year-in and year-out basis and then insist that K-12 teachers analyze, quote-unquote, that data in order to, quote-unquote, teach better uh, classroom, you know, engage in better classroom instruction. It's absolutely absurd. It's just awful. It continues here and wraps up. It says, some social media users, however, questioned the decision and argued that it would lower the standards of teaching in Ontario. No kidding. It says, quote, your Ontario teacher no longer needs to pass basic math to teach basic math. Tweeted conservative commentator Jeffrey Ballar, I'm saying that right, while Quillette editor Jonathan Kay joked, quote, Ontario Teachers Union very excited that its members won't have to know math. Another great day for Ontario students, unquote. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying, I mean, they have a point that passing an area exam doesn't mean that an individual is proficient in anything. That's accurate. That's like saying a student taking a proficiency test doesn't mean that they are actually proficient in that subject matter. However, with that said, they should take exams on whether or not they know their subject. Because unfortunately, again, a lot of the teacher education instruction is so subjective and the rubrics are so weak that are used that the business of actually Giving examinations is one of those things that just doesn't happen very much. It's a lot of project work. It's a lot of group work. It's a lot of writing papers. It's not a lot of rigor when it comes to actually taking a area exam in any subject, math or not. And it's just one of those things I think that, again, should happen more at the college level. But none of it really matters going forward because the entire profession is, is burning to the ground. Um, and again, there's no saving it. So what games they decide to engage in at this point, I think, is, is frankly irrelevant. Um, I can't imagine, as I've said in the past, anybody wanting to be a school teacher uh, in today's day and age. I just can't imagine it. And we know, again, that the faucet, so to speak, is turning itself off at the teacher education level from the top. Again, a number of years ago, I'd say now two, three years ago, when I was still applying to teacher education institutions for a professorship, all of these schools were having a hard time recruiting students. Some of them, again, were saying, well, we met our numbers from last year, and that's fantastic. And then some of them would say, well, we barely met our numbers from the previous year, but you know that's a good thing. And I'm saying you're barely making your, your regular enrollment. That can only go in one direction. 
unless your recruiting methods become more honest and more morally sound. But now, of course, with everything that's happening, I can't imagine someone wanting to be an actual K-12 school teacher. Because you've got to start asking about masks and jabs and the child abuse that's clearly sanctioned and 100% allowed within these environments. Um, it's, the most, it's one of the most abusive environments that exists. And yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what else to add to that particular standardized test thing, but I, I find it funny again that they don't want individuals who want to be teachers to take proficiency tests, but at the same time, when they become employees of a K-12 school building, they're going to be told that they have to examine the proficiency test scores of their own students, and that can be a determining factor as to whether or not that teacher keeps their job. Seems strange. Ironic, uh, again, would be putting it mildly. Again, this falls in the exact same vein here, and this again comes out of Michigan from the Detroit Free Press or freep.com. I would uh, I would change their web URL if I was them. Freep.com, F R E E the letter P.com. How about you just make it DetroitFreePress.com? I'm not sure I would want to click on a website that said freep.com. Anyway, it says Michigan lawmakers create a pathway for school support staff to substitute teach. And again, I've commented on this in the past as well. And I'm not going to get deep into this, but this is what this is what they're doing because of the blatant teacher shortage. They're now again trying to give individuals who don't have bachelor's degrees in education an opportunity to actually work within these school buildings. And of course, they're doing it because their own school teachers are leaving because they've had enough. They're having a hard time finding substitute teachers and keeping them, which again, in many cases, like the school district local to me, um, they've gotten rid of the requirement to have a bachelor's degree in order to be a substitute teacher and just a substitute teacher. Now all you have to have is a high school diploma. This is occurring everywhere. Soon, ladies and gentlemen, they're just going to be scooping people up off of the street who have a heartbeat and then saying, you want to come in and substitute teach because we've got all these sick teachers out because they've all been jabbed, but never mind any of that. Again, they're destroying themselves from every conceivable angle, and they can't see it. They just can't see what they're actually doing with their, you know, as a result of their own hand. Um, I find that to be remarkable. It's it's sad, but it's remarkable at the exact same time. They just are so blind that they just don't get it and they just cannot see it. Um, so there you go. Here here's here's the next thing. And again, this has to do with the Michigan school shooting in Oxford, Michigan. I this came across my path, and again, it was tossed to me by Jesse James from the Dangerous Info podcast, who again lives very close to to where that occurred. And he sent me the screenshots of Ethan Crumbly's math homework or math assignment here, math worksheet basically, where he again wrote on it and drew on it. There's three sections that are that are highlighted here. The first, it says, well, he drew a picture of a gun in an, in a in a particular area of this worksheet, and it says below it, the thoughts won't stop, help me. And then a couple of questions later, 
there's another section where he wrote, he just handwrites the word blood everywhere with a picture of what, again, appears to look like a bullet. And then down in the lower left-hand corner, he writes, my life is useless. Um, and then apparently, once it was confiscated and he was apparently again sent to the counselor's office, he decided to sc scratch out, he, he made a few other drawings, and then scratched out what he had written in. But he left the words, the thoughts won't stop. He scribbled out, he left the picture of the bullet, and he wrote, video game this is. Um, he wrote, OHS rocks, I love my life so much, we're all friends here, harmless art, I think is what he wrote, and then he and a smiley face with crying and laughing, and then he scratched out a couple other things. He wrote, the, the world is good, it looks like, and then scra scratched that out. Clearly, I mean, he was trying to then manipulate this worksheet into looking a particular way uh, because it was suspected that, you know, someone was going to get involved with him or his frame of mind or, or what he was writing here. The worksheet alone is enough to search the, ch the student's belongings. And yet, again, the image that people are consistently shown on television are the parents in shackles uh, pleading through their lawyers and with the judge to have their bond lowered or their bail lowered from $500,000 to $100,000 because they're still in jail. And yet the school counselor who didn't search the student's belongings and sent the student back to class is walking free. You see, this is, I mean, again, this is the problem I have with this. The problem is that the wrong people are in shackles here. I'm not saying they're model parents, but the parents didn't break any law. If the parents didn't want to take th th their son back home after, again, the worksheet was confiscated and, and the kid was questioned with the counselor present and the parents present and XYZ, as I've said in the past, it's the, it's the school's responsibility to just tell the parents that the doors are closed to this school regarding their son. The school could have done that anytime they wanted. Again, in a previous episode, I read the, uh, the nonsense explanation from the superintendent in, an, in another school district, completely unrelated, but they decided to, to pile on and sort of, again, defend the school officials and say, well, it's the law and it's the rules and that's just the way it is, so just get over it. We just have to send suspected violent offenders back to class. As I've been over at length, the answer to that is always no. It, it, the responsibility always lies with any building. It could be a grocery store. It could be Walmart, whatever. If there's any suspected confrontation, the management, so, so to speak, has the right to send those individuals away from that establishment and not allow them back, period. Again, these, these worksheets and, and his writing on the worksheets are more than enough evidence to search his belongings at the time. The, the gun and the bullet alone, the drawing of those two alone is enough to search their belongings, in particular, again, in this day and age. The problem, again, lied solely with the lack of intervention from the counselor and anybody that the counselor communicated with about this particular student and what was going on. And I'm not going to rehash again all the 
reasons as to why that occurs with some counselors, in particular leftist counselors who, again, want to try to fix everything and micromanage everything. But that's really the person who should be in shackles. Again, the, the school principal, the deans, whoever it is that that may have known about what was going on, and certainly the principal, because again, it was alleged that the principal came over the PA system and told people, the students and the staff, to stop coming to the staff about social media posts from either this student or other students. That's that's not a safe environment. But again, watching these parents in shackles and having the prosecutor then try to actually justify in their explanation that the reason that she doesn't want their bail lowered is because that they are a flight risk for some reason or uh, that the drawings on the child's worksheet that the child did in school, they, they didn't do it at home, and then have the parents look over the homework and say, yes, drawing a gun and saying my life is worthless and, uh, you know, I hate this place or whatever he wrote on the worksheet, that doing all of that was fine and that, well, we should just send him back to school with his homework because I'm sure no one at school will suspect any, uh, you know, potential wrongdoing in the future if we let our son come back with all of that drawing on this worksheet. That that wasn't done within the home is what I'm saying. Uh, the, the parents were unaware of what was going on with this worksheet until it was brought to their attention when, again, the parents showed up to the school. The the responsibility for the safety at that moment in time lied solely with the teacher who apparently uh, inappropriately, I guess, identified what was going on, but the counselor who ultimately took the football, so to speak, away from from the school teacher and took the responsibility of micromanaging that situation, they're the ones that belong in jail because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And again, Where's the school principal? Where are the deans? Where's the administrator? And where on earth are the resource officers? It's standard procedure to get resource officers involved. And were they involved? I don't know. But I do know, again, that the major missteps had nothing to do with the parents, per se. And I'm not saying they're model citizens. Apparently, you know, a couple of DUIs in the past and a couple of false checks that were written. Um, with expired, you know, expired license tags as well, and uh, expired driver's license, many, many years ago, fifteen plus years ago, um, they're doing whatever they can now to bring up the the past history of these parents and paint them in the worst possible light. And again, I'm not making excuses for any illegal behavior in the past. What I'm saying is, is that people need to be objective about the entire situation, because they're not being clearly. This prosecutor is bought; they're sold. Any judge looking at this objectively might might say that they were a flight risk, but then again, put them on home arrest, put ankle monitors on them. Um, if you're that concerned about the parents' well-being or you know what what the parents may or may not do, the, the fact is is that the shooter is in jail. The shooter's not going to get out of jail. And when are we going to hold these these school these school employees accountable? These were the individuals that were directly involved for what occurred and what, what was allowed to occur ultimately. Again, the shooter is to blame, but we have to start seeing school personnel be arrested for not doing the very thing that they are contractually obligated to do, which again is keeping people safe. Now, I've mentioned this particular story in the past, 
And I'll bring it up again because it's 100% relevant. And it's a perfect example of what what happens, what should happen, and then what does happen. Because they don't all match up. When I stopped working at this middle school in Florida where I used to work, almost immediately, one of the secretaries slash aides, uh, she was a fill-in secretary and whatever. I, I never thought she was that bright. Um, but she was whoever she was. She was also an ex-wife of another school teacher who worked in the neighboring high school. And they had a daughter who attended uh, the middle school as well. On one particular day during lunch, um, where, again, the cafeteria is filled with middle school students, there's a knock on the side door, which is a main entrance and exit door to this particular building, and it happens to be approximately, I'd say, 10 feet, uh, maybe 12 feet from the cafeteria doors. And uh, there's a knock on the door, and she walks over, and the standard policy is that all of those doors, of course, are electronically locked, and the only way to get in is with a key fob. But, but there's a guy at the, at, at the door, and he's knocking on the door, and she opens up the door, and he says, can you, uh, can you get the resource officer um, out here because my car's not working and blah, blah, blah. He said something about his car not working or that he suspected that there was something suspicious under his, under his automobile or what, his truck or whatever it was. And she said, yeah, sure, and she let him in. Um, I apparently tried to get him to go around the front, but, but he goes, well, I'm parked right here and you know, I'm right here and whatever. And she let him in. The guy proceeded to walk right past her, walk right into the cafeteria. Uh, he pulled out his genitals in the cafeteria and started to go to town on himself in front of the students in the cafeteria. I, you get what I'm saying. The, the point is, is that ultimately that individual was arrested. They were on drugs. Not the, not the secretary, although, you know, who knows. But the individual was arrested, the male, and what happened with the, with the secretary? Now, you would think that firing them would be the most logical, straightforward solution. Again, how about potential lawsuits coming toward their way, given the fact that they're, you know, the, the children in this environment were watching this sexual act take place in front of them? And the parents, again, any knowledgeable parent would know that that particular school employee broke policy and broke their contractual obligation to keep their children safe within that environment. Long story short, that secretary ended up going on at least a one to two week paid vacation while they were on administrative leave and then they got their job back. Again, let that sink in. And, and that wasn't necessarily something, again, that made national news. That wasn't something that hit statewide news or maybe even county local news. It brushed under the rug, very hush-hush, kept quiet, and then there you go. They just get their job right back you know, as, as quickly as they almost lost it, almost as if, again, nothing happened. This continues to be the biggest failure in American K-12 education is the inability to follow through on doing the morally just, lawful, and contractually obligated thing that a person has to do. Too many second, third, and fourth chances are getting cut for the wrong people and blaming innocent people in the process also continues to be a huge problem here. So I could keep rambling on about it, I suppose. I've already rambled too much, but 
Um, watching those parents in shackles is completely unnecessary. Watching them in jail is completely unnecessary. They didn't pull the trigger in the Michigan case, and the, and the counselor walks free. Counselor slash counselors walk free. It, it blows me away. Absolutely blows me away. But again, the thing that you're also not going to hear, and you never hear about this publicly unless you're at the very local level and you're, you're tapped in and tuned in with what's going on at that local level, because it'll never be mentioned nationally, is, is the business of how many teachers and employees within that school building are quitting. My recollection is that there were at least 19 or 20 employees who, who quit following the Parkland shooting. And again, you know, I don't know enough about the Parkland shooting, so to speak, uh, in order to comment too deeply on it. There were a lot of anomalies with that particular case. Um, and funny how they didn't bother going after the adoptive parents of that particular student if they were, in fact, adoptive parents. They went right for the shooter. They locked up the shooter. Um, they kept everything hush-hush for the most part. Again, immediate national news attention local news attention, ABC, NBC, CBS, they were all involved, front page everywhere, blah, 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 but nothing about the parents. It was all, they just blamed the students 100%. Again, local corrupt police officers and, and police department uh, did whatever they could to run cover for the superintendent and the school policy and this, that, and the other, and said, well, it's school policy that, uh, you know, we have to let violent offenders back and this, that, and the other. And then, of course, there was Obama money mixed in with that particular shooting and, and the policies that took place that allowed it to occur, apparently. Um, yeah, many heads of the snake is the point. Uh, many strings on the puppets. And it's next to impossible to break it down in, in any one episode. But this is one of those things, again, where the prosecutor in the Michigan case is, is grasping at straws here. And they really do not have a leg to stand on. But I think it's an absolute abomination that, that anybody is moving forward with any prosecution regarding these, these parents. Because again, if, if they end up being found guilty of negligent homicide or manslaughter or whatever it is that they're being charged with, uh, what a horrible precedent that sends and what an unfair precedent that sends for countless individuals. Going forward, uh, but parents will be in the crosshairs, so to speak, when they had absolutely nothing to do with it. So I want to switch now to um, some more jab-related stuff here, because again, I, I, I mean, the, the, just the number, the sheer number of stories that are, that are coming through here are are overwhelming, and I'm not I'm not saying it's getting better because it clearly isn't, and I think that 2022 is going to have. A lot of different things coming down the pipeline here that are going to be real dangerous for American children going forward regarding these jabs within K-12 environments. Um, and while there are plenty of victories taking place, and I'm going to mention one of them here in a second, I want to get into, again, some of the things I think that might come down the line here. First of all, this comes from Dr. Joseph Mercola um, from NoQReport.com, no and it's titled an article that he wrote here in the opinion section. It's titled, The Real Reason They Want to Give COVID Jabs to Kids. And I'm going to read his story at a glance bullet points here. I think he's dead on. And then I'll sort of add my two cents. And then again, I want to wrap up by reading a few things. Um, and certainly the, the text thread from AJ Gochik here. Uh, it says here, story at a glance, 
The reason our children are being targeted by COVID mandates is because vaccine makers want to get the shots into childhood vaccination, into the childhood vaccination schedule. And again, we've known this for quite some time, in particular when you listen to Dr. Tone Loke, Anthony Fauci consistently bring it up by saying that these shots are no different than all the other shots that children take and they should take them and we should make it a part of the schedule and blah, blah, blah. He's been saying this for a very long time. Uh, The next bullet point says, once a vaccine is added to the childhood schedule, the vaccine maker is shielded from financial liability for injuries unless the manufacturer knows about vaccine safety issues and withholds that information. Clearly, they're already doing that, and they're moving forward, and they don't seem to have any qualms about it. Um, The next bullet point says, products must satisfy four criteria in order to get emergency use authorization. There must be an emergency. A vaccine must be at least 30 to 50% effective. The known and potential benefits of the product must outweigh the known and potential risks for the product, and there can be no adequate approval and available alternative treatments, drugs, or vaccines. Unless all four criteria are met, emergency use authorization cannot be granted or maintained. Again, it seems to fail all of those thus far. Um, There's, yeah, it's a kill program, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that's what this is. It's a a flat-out kill program. This has nothing to do with curing anything. It has to do with making people sick and dead. That that's the bottom line here. Um, the next bullet point says, according to the U.S. federal court decision, the Pfizer shot and BioNTech's Comirnaty are not interchangeable. And then finally, it says Comirnaty is not fully approved and licensed. It's only ready for approval, quote unquote. Comirnaty is licensed to be manufactured, introduced into state commerce, and marketed, but it's not licensed to be given to anyone and it's not yet available in the United States. They're waiting for it to be added to the childhood vaccination schedule to get the liability shield. Um, This will, again, I'll just get into it now because it's relevant. This leads, again, to what what I think is going to occur here in 2020. They're going to do whatever they can, and schools have already done it, by the way, with these emergency use jabs, which are clearly killing people. Uh, Millions. And Again, pl- plenty of charter schools, private schools, Catholic schools uh, are, are already pushing these jabs as, as being mandatory. California, again, as a state, is attempting to do the exact same thing. I think that this right here is going to be the next move that is going to be made at the national level. You're going to have the teachers union in 2022 jump full bore into getting countless teachers forced jabbed or else they lose their jobs. I think that's going to happen. We've already seen it now with the military. What makes people think that it's not going to happen with the entire profession of American K-12 education? It's already happened at the university and college level. And yes, the exemptions have rolled through in that entire exemption process with religious and medical exemption. The problem is, is that at the K-12 level, the exemptions aren't going to suffice. I just don't think that they will. I think they're going to insist that staff members and students get them. Paperwork or not, religious exemptions or not, this is going to roll through one way or another. And all it takes is some bad judges to push it through. And then one state's going to do it, and then another state's going to do it. And unless certain governors don't intervene, um, you're going to have a massive problem. 
I, I, I just think that the the end game plan here is again to get as many students force jabbed as humanly possible by closing in all of the avenues and drying up all of the wells of of any legal or freedom based avenue that would keep somebody from not receiving these. And they're just going to wring all of those dry as much as they can. And they're going to do whatever they can to, again, just force inoculate as many people as possible. This, however, I think is, is part of the plan, so to speak, a white hat plan, um, as, as terrifying, as dangerous and, and dangerous as it is, because it's going to force individuals to actually act. And it's going to force families and individuals to actually think for themselves and rearrange their lives and, and redo a number of different things and, and hopefully, again, get them to just think as an individual without staring at a television and saying, well, a stranger on TV said I have to do this, so maybe I need to do this. Maybe they'll say, you know what, enough is enough. The game is over. I'm tired of this. This isn't happening anymore we're self-governing from here on out. We're making our own decisions as a family. The sad part is, is that that's exactly what was supposed to happen from day one. From the very moment that we are conceived and born, um, yes, we're born into this matrix, we're born into families, we're born into a system, but we've got to operate on an individual basis and think for ourselves. And again, we've got we've got to stop watching television and we've got to stop listening to what's coming out of the television because the voices coming out of the television want us dead. It's that simple. So I think that's the I, I think that's the next major play for 2022. The next major play is making jabs a part of the vaccination status for all students to attend American K-12 schools, and then, again, pushing that on school employees. That, however, is going to lead to the largest mass exodus that's ever occurred in American K-12 schools from the bottom up, so to speak, because it's already happening from the top down. You have countless individuals, as I've stated in the past on numerous occasions, that are not wanting to become teachers. That well is drying up. Now if the well dries up from the bottom up, it's game over in American K-12 education and good riddance as far as I'm concerned. Um, here's another post I wanted to read. Again, this came from Great Awakening. I posted this on Gab uh, when I came across this because I thought it was interesting. It got some, it got some play, which was good. Uh, and there's just one critical error that gets made at the end of this post, which I, which I think is a shame. But uh, the, the post is titled, F.U. I Won't Do What You Tell Me. It says, quote, My family is very much awake, and I'm so, proud of, I'm so proud of them all. My daughter, a high school senior, refuses to wear a mask. My wife preaches to all her friends the potential harm of the vax, and never, ever wears a mask. And I have left my job recently due to my firm pushing the vax, giving a big middle finger to the woke management team that run my company on my way out and hopefully waking up a few colleagues in the process. My son, though, is the leader of our pack when it comes to standing up to tyranny. He's an academic, all-American scholar athlete who plays football at a large university. The football program is a top 20 D1 team. All summer, the coaching staff was pushing the VAX. 
he and several of his teammates refused. Just before the season started, the coaches threatened to cut players if they didn't get vaxxed, and he and a handful of his teammates walked away, giving up their dream of playing big-time D1 football. I'm so very proud of those young men. As the semester progressed, now not playing football, he focused on his academics. Throughout the semester, he was told that he had to take weekly COVID tests since he wasn't vaxxed. He refused. He then started getting threatening emails that he would be kicked out of school if he didn't take his COVID test. He still refused. His professors preached daily, early in the semester, how everyone needed to get vaxxed. He didn't listen. He then was told that he couldn't sign up for his classes next semester if he didn't take the COVID test. He didn't take any COVID tests, not one. He went through the semester with a cloud over his head, thinking he may get kicked out of school, and still pulled straight A's in an intense engineering program. The threats from the university were baseless, as they ended up caving, and they ultimately allowed him to sign up for the next semester. He's been talking to the coaches of his football team, and they want him back, and they know his stance on the vax, and they still want him back. Moral of the story, it's okay to say no. Don't give in, and never, ever do anything you are uncomfortable with. It will all work out in the end, unquote. Great story. I hope it's true. The only problem I have is why on earth is he talking to his football coaches and why on earth would he want to play football? Why on earth would he want to go back and play for those people? Stop playing round ball, as I said on, uh, on Gab. Stop playing ball sports. Pick up a book and just keep reading. Focus on the war that's going on around us. Focus on the war that's impacting countless families all over the United States and all over the world. That's where the focus needs to be. Not in the games and gimmicks and, and the bread and circuses that are taking place. That's the I'm sorry, but that just continues to be one of the biggest problems. And again, it was a fantastic story here, I thought, when I first read it. And then I thought, oh, too bad. He screwed it up right at the end. He's actually considering going back and playing sports to the, you know, and, and playing football for the very individuals who looked at all of them right to their faces and said, if you don't take this death poison, you can't play. It's absolutely absurd, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot give even the unknowledgeable any quarter throughout this entire process. You just can't. I want to wrap up here by reading this text thread from AJ Gochik, who tossed this my way. Again, prayers to, to he and his family. He's unjabbed. His wife is unjabbed. Their children are unjabbed. Um, not so with some extended family members. So he said this, and he sent this to me uh, on Thursday around 11 in the morning. It says, quote, Dear Sean, first of all, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and New Year. Your podcasts have been, very, uh, uh, have been a breath of fresh air, and I enjoy listening to them very much out on walks or while driving. Second, some shocking news in the past 10 hours that has affected me and my family that are jab-related. First, my mother-in-law, 69 or 70 years old, she started vomiting last night, then got numbness in her leg and passed out. Ambulance to hospital. Brother-in-law is heart surgeon waiting at hospital out of state. Mother-in-law taken to radiology, blood clot in artery of neck that supplies blood to brain. 
surgery recovering. Looks like she's going to make it. My wife spoke with her in ICU an hour ago. Double jabbed and boosted recently, is the mother-in-law. That sounds 100% jab related, he said. He then said in the same uh, text, more shocking, I wake up this morning and text message from a close family friend. Low 40s with three small children. Her husband, also low 40s in age, died of sudden chest pain on Monday. Funeral service today, double jabbed as well, not sure if he got third shot. I saw him a month ago at a picnic. Thin, healthy looking, happy, and a sweet father to the kids. Awful news. I responded, again, asking if I could share it. He said, absolutely. He then later sent, sent this. He said, it was the son, heart surgeon brother-in-law, and his nurse wife who made the mom get all three jabs. I doubt he will admit it was jab-related. She didn't have to get it is the worst part. Not job-related or anything. Mother-in-law was always a housewife, stay-at-home mom. Uh, he then replied back later on the next day and said, More bad news from tonight. Wife's niece, 17 years old, top student at school, bright future, double jabbed, not feeling well. Diagnosis, arrhythmia. Maybe hospitalized in same hospital as the grandmother, my mother-in-law. Doctor of the family, my brother-in-law, is jabbing everyone. And then I responded back and I said, someone needs to tell this guy what's going on and what this is all about. As tough as that might be, you and your wife can't be the only ones in the family that see these blatant connections. So, again, prayers to his family for everything that they're having to deal with. Uh, I, I, I don't know what else to say. It, this is, this is going to hit everybody in one way or another. We, we now all know people who are sick, who are jabbed, who are jabbed and sick. Uh, some of them are making the connections. Some of them are not. And just to wrap up here again, it's another notch in that spectrum, in, in the coronavirus, COVID war spectrum here that's taking place where it just, it, it just fits perfectly. But it also is remarkably unfortunate that so much can be happening within the lives of the jabbed that are health-related, and yet it's the jabbed themselves that aren't making the connection, and that the people closest to them who are, are, are claiming to help them and, and want them to get jabbed because they think that that's going to help, that even they, medical doctor or not, aren't, aren't making the blatant connections here that this is the problem that it's the jabbed that are getting ill, that it's the jabbed that are dying, and it, yet it's the purebloods that are doing 100% fine. So, again, I, I say a prayer for AJ and, and, his, and his family there. Um, we're not wishing this on anybody. I think that goes without saying. We're really not. Uh, it's, it's horrible to say the least, but um, I wish him the best. Uh, you know, recovery regarding things like this is an unknown. In many cases, it's it's not feasible because the messenger RNA is is one of those things where again, it's toothpaste that you just can't put back in the tube. You can't you can't reverse that process, and it's remarkably unfortunate. But 
I'm sure in the future we'll have AJ back on as well. I'm sure he can elaborate on the specifics of, of what's been going on too. And um, again, all the best to he and his family and his extended family members for what's going on. I hope somebody, somebody over there tells the extended family members what's going on, what's causing all of this and, and wakes them up. And unfortunately, a lot of people are having to wake up the hard way. But with all of that said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, make sure and tune in on Wednesday as well. Sorry for some of the rambling here. I'm, I've, I've had show notes. I, I hit on what I wanted to say for the most part, but I'm a little exhausted from, uh, from, from the weekend here. We had, we had a fun time to say the least. Um, on Wednesday, I'm going to be talking with a father who homeschools using the Abeka system, abeka.com. And uh, their, their child seems to thoroughly enjoy it, and the family seems to thoroughly enjoy it. We're going to be talking about a number of different things as well. And they hit me up on Gab and they said, Hey, I've been listening to your podcast since the start. Thoroughly love it. Uh, we use Abeka. And I said, You got to come on and talk about it. So we're going to talk about Abeka. We're going to talk about the landscape of a number of other different things. And I hope you tune in for that. So with that said, I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.